Good morning. I have good news for you today. I have really, really, really good news. We have a guest preacher. Thank you. Thank you. Tom Toole is, um, is one of, and has been for years, one of the uh, well-known and um, anointed preachers and communicators in this country. Uh, Tom has been the senior pastor of some significant churches around this country, Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas, uh, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, just south of Central Park. It's an amazing congregation. Um, He is with us this weekend. It's kind of our fall weekend. He met with the elders and the pastors and and directors yesterday for a retreat and helped us think about what God's doing in our midst and where we're going to go. And it's a delight and an honor for us to have him here today. Uh, Tom is currently started, after leaving Fifth Avenue, um, he started uh, a ministry in Atlanta called Macedonian Ministries that was working just in Atlanta initially, working with pastors who were feeling burned out and ineffective and alone, and uh, congregations that were struggling. They invited him to come in and just kind of be a friend and advisor and work with them. Uh, that ministry expanded in Atlanta. It's expanded all around the country, and it's now expanded to uh, Scotland. It's now going international in just a few short years. And um, Tom is somebody that in Atlanta, for Beth and for myself, was a real mentor and a real friend. Uh, and so I hope you'll join me in welcoming him here to Covenant for his fourth sermon of the morning. Tom. Thank you, Thomas. Well, I am honored to be here. Um, I want to tell you that when the search committee from Covenant called me, actually, I get calls sometimes from search committees, and they said, who do you think would be a good pastor for Covenant? The first name I thought of was Thomas Daniel, and I gave Thomas a strong recommendation, and through the search process, I talked to several members of the committee about Thomas and Beth and why I thought they'd be great for Covenant, why I thought Texas would be great for the Daniel family, and uh, I was quite an advocate for Thomas. I know others advocated for him, but I felt this would be a great call for him, even though we were sad to leave him in, to lose him in Atlanta. I just thought this would be a great call for Thomas. I told the committee so, and yes, Yesterday morning, uh, walking in here, and all day yesterday and all day this morning, people have been inundating me with comments saying, boy, Thomas is perfect for this church. We love Thomas. He's been getting rave reviews. So here's my question. Do I get some kind of finder's fee for this? (laughs) I feel like I deserve something. (laughs) I think they like you, Thomas. You know, I got to tell you, at my first Sunday at Memorial Drive, I thought I was being cute. And uh, I, so I gave the benediction with like the hook'em horns, you know. And uh, I did the benediction like this. And afterwards, everybody came out and said, a number of people came out and said, what about Gigam Aggies or the Baylor Claw? So that was the last time I ever did the. I thought hook'em horns might go over better in Austin. <laughs> go Longhorns. This scripture text is so profound and so simple, and so familiar. Don't miss it. If we were to take this scripture seriously, we would have a different world. Listen to the word of God. When the Pharisees heard Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. 
One of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question in order to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I pray this morning that you would pour through me the gift of preaching. That these words might not simply be human words or human opinions, but by a miracle of your grace, these words might become your living word to us. And may they touch every child and teenager and young adult and adult who is here. And meet every one of us at our point of need and challenge us to take the next step on our journey of faith with you. All this we pray with anticipation in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And may all God's people say, Amen. I absolutely love the story of the first grade boy who fell completely in love with his first grade teacher. At graduation from the first grade, he hugged her and kissed her, and with tears streaming down his face, he said, Teacher, I sure wish you knew enough to teach the second grade. If you think about it, there's a lot of relationships in our world today that are stuck back in the first grade. They're stuck in immaturity. There's a lot of first grade marriages where they got married and started off, but then the marriage kind of grew stale and the love grew cold and, and they never kind of updated their love with one another. It just kind of, they kind of drifted apart over the years. And there's a lot of first grade friendships. Started out well, and as long as things were going well and they agreed on everything, the friendship was good. But as soon as there was a disagreement, the friendship kind of got locked and hit a snag, and, and you never got beyond it. So the relationship kind of stayed in the first grade, never went on to maturity. And if we were to be really honest, there's a number of people who have a first grade relationship with God. I mean, we started the journey of faith with Jesus. We said to Jesus, we want to follow you, but... But then we got busy and we got tired and stopped going to a small group and stopped praying regularly. And before we knew it, we were living on stale grace. We're living on a relationship with God we had years ago. Be very sure God wants us to be childlike, meaning humble, knowing our need, knowing, trusting, but also filled with awe and wonder. God wants us to be childlike. God does not want us to be childish, meaning selfish, uh, arrogant, insisting on our own way, and throwing a tantrum when we don't get what we want. The reality is God wants us to go beyond the first grade through junior high, high school, college, to really become Ph.D. Christians, Ph.D. followers of Jesus, so that we could have Ph.D. marriages. Where you're in this marriage, it's like a learning laboratory where the husband and wife can learn from one another, hold each other accountable to be their best, to forgive one another in the tough times and work through conflict, letting each other know you're going to be with them through the tough times and helping each other blossom to become the man and the woman God intended us to be. That's the PhD in marriage, whether it's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, beyond. God's looking for Ph.D. friendships where we don't run away in times of conflict. We can disagree without being disagreeable. And we can really love one another and, and model what it means to have unity amid diversity. We need Ph.D. friendships in this world today. And we need people who are getting the Ph.D. in their relationship with God. Who go beyond simplicity 
and really are the PhD Christians who know they're on the face of the earth for more than just making a living and raising a family and having a career as important as those things are. They were on the face of the earth to serve God by serving other people. That's the PhD in Christianity. Now this fall, Covenant Presbyterian Church is in for a treat. Thomas Daniel is going to do a sermon series on adventure and anxiety. And what I think he's really going to be talking about is how to become a Ph.D. Christian, how to love God, how to love yourself, how to love your neighbor, how to love the city of Austin, Texas, and beyond with the love of God. And as you enjoy that sermon series and are challenged by Thomas, I said to the search committee, if they want a maintainer, Thomas Daniel is not your guy. If you want somebody to just keep it the way it's always been, then Thomas is not your guy. There's pastors who can do that. I know them. But, but he's not the one. If, if you call Thomas Daniel, fasten your seatbelts. Because he's going to get you moving into a whole new world. That he's going to challenge you to go beyond what you've ever thought. And that's going to happen. He's going to call you to an adventure. A risk-taking adventure. And so during that sermon series and during this sermon today, I hope you'll use this prayer posture in your mind. This has become my prayer posture. Open hands. You know why I pray this way? So God can put things into my hands and God can take some things out of my hands. I developed this when I was praying ardently one time, very, very forcefully for something that I wanted from God and needed from God. And I looked down and my, my fists were clenched like this and I realized, boy, I must really want this. And I could kind of hear God saying to me, Tool, you've got to let me pry open your fingers if I'm going to really speak to you and do something in your life. And I found when I opened my hands toward God, then God could take some things out of my hands that I didn't even know were holding me back, like fear, worry, anxiety, prejudices, being scared to move on to an adventure and having the anxiety to want to stay on the shore. When God's leading me out into the deep water, I was afraid, so I wanted to hold on to the shore. But God says, Tool, open your hands. And, and I realized then God could take some things out of my hands, and God could put things into my hands, like perseverance and patience and love and discipline, some things I really need in my life. Where in your life do you need to open your hands before Almighty God? So I hope that you'll pray this way as even you're thinking about this message today because there's three spiritual principles that I believe God wants to lift up to you out of this great text in Matthew chapter, chapter 22. The first principle is this. Put God first in your life. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, make God the number one priority in your life. But very subtly, and this isn't really even easy to talk about, but very subtly, our family can take the place that only God can have. And we actually put our spouses and our children and our parents and our siblings on a pedestal. We shouldn't be doing that, but, but we subtly do it. This is why earlier in Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. One of the translations is, unless you hate father or mother, unless you hate son or daughter, you're not, wor you're not worthy of me. And you think, wow, I don't like that particular translation of it. But what Jesus is saying is, if you put children or parents or spouses in the place that only God can occupy, all the relationships of your life are distorted. Only God. Only God can meet the deepest hunger and assuage the deepest thirst of our soul. This is very subtle, though. 
Sometimes we let good things creep in and secondary or tertiary things become the primary thing in our life. For example, I know this family very well. I love them very much, and they are followers of Jesus. They've had several children, but their oldest child went off to college, their daughter. It was their, their only daughter. They loved her very much. She was their oldest child. They'd never taken a child to college before, so they wanted to do it well, and they, they prayed about and thought about what they were going to do. They, they had this fantasy that they were going to uh, drive her to the campus the day before. They would have a leisurely dinner, stay overnight at a nice hotel. Then the next morning, get up and have a long, leisurely breakfast, and then drive the girl over to the dorm around 10, 1030, and they'd unload the the car and would take about 20, 30 minutes or an hour to get all the things in. And the, the mother would send her, spend her morning with the draperies and curtains in the dorm room and the, the bedspreads on the bed. And the, 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 the father would spend his morning, uh, you know, hooking the girl into the internet on the campus and would take him 30, 40 minutes to do that. And then he was going to put up bookshelves. And they thought around noon, they'd meet some other girls in the dorm. They'd take them all out to lunch, have a leisurely lunch. And then about three o'clock, they'd find a park bench and they'd have a prayer with their daughter wish her well, say goodbye, and 3.30 or so they would drive home. This is their fantasy of the way it's going to work out. So the next uh, day, they did, in fact, drive the girl to college, and they did, in fact, have dinner and stay one night at a nice hotel. But what they didn't expect was when they got up the next morning, the girl said, oh, mom and dad, I am so full of butterflies. When I got anxiety, and I'm, I'm worried about meeting these kids, and I, I couldn't possibly eat anything. I can't even have coffee. I'm, I'm just so uh, nervous. So the, the parents just wolf down a, a quick muffin and a quick cup of coffee, and they're racing over to the campus. They get there even before it opens, but at 9 o'clock when the dorm opens, these two uh, seniors and junior guys come over to help uh, unload the car, and they take one look at this freshman girl, and she's so beautiful, and so in, in about 45 seconds, they've got the car unloaded and, and into the dorm room, and everything's in, and, and in four seconds, they've got her hooked into the campus internet, and, and everything is set, and so it took five minutes to get the girl assimilated, and they said to the, the girl, by the way, are you hungry by any chance? You want to go get coffee and breakfast? And the girl said, oh, I'm starved. My, my, my parents didn't get me any breakfast this morning, so I'm, I'm really, really hungry. And uh, they said, well, let us buy you breakfast. So they, go, they walk down the hall with this girl, and she gets to the end of the hall and all of a sudden realizes her parents. So she runs back down the hall, gives them a kiss on the cheek, and says, bye, Mom, bye, Dad. See you at Thanksgiving. And she's gone. And the parents look at their watch. It's 9.05. And they got the whole rest of the day. And so they went out to breakfast, and they started to laugh at themselves, thank God. They realized they had put expectations on that daughter that no person could ever fulfill. This is very subtle, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. There's good things that get in the way of the best thing, and the best thing is Jesus. Make God the number one priority in your life. And when you do, then your job, then your relationship with your children or your spouse or your parents or your friends, then they fall into their proper perspective. But don't lay on people expectations that no human being could possibly fulfill. The PhD Christians are the ones who love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, number one in our lives. Secondly, PhD Christians love ourselves. We make Jesus Christ the cornerstone of our self-esteem. So we're not arrogant, we're not haughty, we're not uh, super confident. We have a healthy self-esteem that comes out of what God says about us, not, not low self-esteem. We have a healthy, good esteem. 
But unless I miss my guess, there's some teenager or young adult or adult here this morning who really suffers from low self-image. Maybe a coach told you you weren't fast enough. Or maybe a parent or a friend told you you weren't thin enough. Or maybe told, somebody told you you weren't talented enough to make the dance team. Or maybe a boss told you you weren't good enough to go to the next level in your career and your career kind of hit a plateau. And we've harbored that for a year or five years or 10 years or maybe 30 years. And we listen to what the culture says about us instead of listening to what God says about us. We're the crown of God's creation. We're the apple of God's eye. Marcia had to deal with this. Marcia came to me when I was preaching a sermon series on depression and despair, growing out of the sermon text in Elijah, where Elijah battled depression and despair in his life. And Marcia read this in the bulletin. She came up to me and she said, Tom, when you talk about depression, are you going to mention people with low self-esteem that seem good on the outside, altogether on the outside, but inside they have low self-esteem? And I asked her about it, and she said it would take more time than we have now. This was after a worship service. So we made a date to have coffee, and I knew Marcia to be a brilliant woman. She was a Ph.D., actually, in mathematics, and head of the mathematics department at one of America's most prestigious universities. But Marcia said, you want to know the truth, Tom? I feel like a C-minus person. I said, why is that? She said, because when I was growing up, no matter what I got in a test, if I would get a 95, my daddy would always say to me, well, why didn't you get 100? So I'd study really hard, and I'd get a perfect paper. I'd get 100, and my dad would say, hmm, must have been an easy test. She said, I never pleased my dad. She said, then one day, my dad started to take advantage of me. And he started to be abusive to me. Well, out of that conversation, I recommended a Christian therapist for her who helped her enormously. But I also recommended she get into a small group with some intimate fellowship. And in that small group, it was the most amazing thing, the small group of men and women. They helped Marcia believe that what her earthly father said about her, that she didn't measure up, wasn't right. That what God said about her, she's the crown of God's creation, she's the apple of God's eye. They said that that's really the, what, what is true of Marcia. And even though Marcia's father was dead, her earthly father, she heard a message from her heavenly father that changed her life. And you know why I say Marcia's going towards the PhD in Christianity? Because Marcia got beyond low self-esteem. She still battles it. She still has to deal with a therapist. But she got beyond low self-esteem. And she is walking alongside and ministering to young girls and young women caught in sexual trafficking who don't love themselves. They loathe themselves. And Marcia's able to remind them you are the crown of God's creation. You don't have to do this. You're better than all this. And, and she's helped many a young woman get out of the slavery and the bondage of sexual trafficking. It's a magnificent ministry. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5 says, God helps us in our trouble, so we're able to help others in their trouble using the same help we've received from God. Marcia was helped in her low self-esteem so that she can help others with low self-esteem using the same help she's received from God. Isn't that amazing? So in an area of our lives where we have struggled and maybe where we've suffered and where we've had real issues, maybe we still have those issues, God can use that very thing where we have struggled to help other people in their struggles using the same help we've received from God. That's the PhD in Christianity. 
So if you get the PhD, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Make God number one in your life. Don't even let secondary or tertiary things subtly get into be number one. Let God be the cornerstone of our self-esteem so we can love ourselves, not in a haughty, arrogant way. That's not good self-esteem, but in a humble confident way when you can love yourself and understand what God wants to do through you to others and then the third thing is if you love yourself then you love your neighbor you love your neighbor as you love yourself if you don't have proper self-love then we can't really love our neighbor but if we love ourselves and let God's love flow through us then we can love our neighbor and the third principle is ask God to love your neighbors through us now, I really believe in this prayer posture of open-handedness because the thing is, you open your hands to God and say, God, I'm willing to love someone who is hard for me to love. Is there anyone here who knows a relationally challenged person? Is there anybody here who knows a cobweb spotter? A cobweb spotter could come into this room and see the one cobweb in the upper right-hand corner. Now, a true cobweb spotter is so critical. A true cobweb spotter not only delights in seeing the cobweb, but they delight in pointing it out to you. Does anybody here know a cobweb spotter? Is anybody here married to a cobweb spotter? <laughs> see, cobweb spotters have low self-esteem. They're critical of others, because they really don't like themselves. They take out their, their loathing of themselves on somebody else. But the idea is if we really love ourselves in a healthy way, then we can love others. But be very careful. When you open this, your hands to God, and let God take things out of your hands that are barriers, like maybe I'm more like that person that I find hard to love than I want to admit, like lack of forgiveness, like arrogance, like pride, like anger, you let God take things out of your hand and put things in like love and forgiveness and go on the second mile to love that person. You start doing that and you better fasten your seatbelts because you're in for the ride of your life. You don't know who God's going to ask you to love. Maybe somebody that you really don't really even like or, or don't even want to love. And you may find yourself going to places you never thought you would go. So Andrew Young and his college-age daughter are seated in a worship service where Millard Fuller, who was the former president of Habitat for Humanity, was giving a sermon. He was challenging people to, that Habitat for Humanity wants to put a roof over the head of every person in the world, not just America, in the world. And Fuller said, this is what we've got to do in our lifetime. He was challenging people to even go outside their comfort zone, and he mentioned Uganda. He said, I'm going to be going to Uganda, and I'm going to be building habitat homes for the poor. I'm hoping some in this audience tonight, in this congregation, would be willing to help fund this ministry, and I think maybe some of the young people here would want to go with me to Uganda and build homes for the poor so that everybody has a home, a safe, affordable roof over their head. And Andrew Young, as Millard Fuller speaking, he notices his daughter moving forward, inching forward in her chair and leaning into what Millard Fuller is saying. And Andrew Young whispers to his daughter, now, honey, you're needed right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Don't you get any ideas about this? And anyway, the sermon ends and people kind of applauded for Dr. Fuller. And, and Andrew Young's daughter said, Daddy, 
I want to drop out of school. I want to go to Uganda. I want to serve the poor. I want to build the houses. He said, now, honey, you're needed right here in Atlanta, Georgia. She said, Daddy, but I've heard you preach about taking risks and heard you preach about following Jesus in radical ways. He said, yeah, honey, I was just preaching, but I didn't mean you. I mean, this, this wasn't what you should be doing. And she said, Daddy, please, I really want to go. And he said, okay, finish college, and then your mother and I will pray about it. We know you can't hold on to these kids forever. And uh, you got to hold them open with open hands. So she graduated from college and she wanted to go. Andrew Young thought she'd forget about it, but she didn't forget about it. She said, Mom and Dad, I want to go to Uganda and with Dr. Fuller. And so she graduated from college and they let her go to Uganda and they drove her to Hartsfield Airport. And as they were saying goodbye to her there, they, they hugged her and kissed her. And Andrew Young's wife noticed that Andrew Young, when he said goodbye to his daughter and was hugging her, there were enormous tears streaming all down his face, and he started to sob. The daughter waved goodbye and told her parents she loved them, and she went to go through security, and Andrew Young is really sobbing. His wife said, honey, this is really hard for you, isn't it, to let her go? He said, oh, it is so hard, but that's not why I'm crying. She said, why then are you crying? He said, oh, I just got in touch with the fact that we raised our daughter to be a respectable Christian. I, at least, wasn't prepared for her to become a real one. Now, listen, Austin, Texas is desperate to hear and see real Christians. God brought a real Christian here to be your pastor, and he brought a real Christian who's not content with the status quo, who wants to lead you on out into deep water, out beyond, beyond the comfort zone, out into places to love people in Austin and to do things you never dreamed you might do. But if you're going to be the mature Christians, the PhD Christians that are open-handed so God can take things out of your hands and put some things into your hand, we got to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind. Make God number one in our life and not let other things subtly creep in. we got to love ourselves, not in a cocky or arrogant way, but, but in a humble way with confidence to love ourselves as God loves us. And we've got to ask God to love our neighbors through us and be prepared to love challenging people and go to places we never thought we would go to love God's people. When you get to the end of your earthly life and enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is not going to hand us a diploma or a PhD degree. You know what he's going to do? Jesus is going to come to us with open arms. He's going to say to us seven words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I tell you the truth. Those are the only words in all the world that are worth living for.